So I, I did want to plug something right off the top of this show today. Um, we've been uh, we've been streaming on Twitch, me and some of the guys that play games together. So uh, Daniel's kind of the ringleader of it all. He runs the stream. He's the one whose face you see on the stream. Um, but I know Brad, Ron, um, Chris, uh, Josh, a bunch of guys have been kind of coming in and we've been, been making games together on Minecraft. <laughs> I've uh, been playing and then kind of setting aside time during our three-hour Monday night stream to, to talk about Jesus as well and d- discuss some theology. And it's been really mm-hmm. fun. We've had, you know, people engaging with us uh, in the chat. It, it's almost, it almost feels like a little bit of a connect group, mm-hmm. except we're just kind of centered around Minecraft. So it's been a really cool way to connect, I think, with other Christians during the pandemic. Yeah, no, I think it was a cool. Like, we started the idea way back thinking, like, how do we just engage that section of the world right and you know we had enough guys cared about gaming and cared about jesus and it's like let's just put them together it's just been it's been a great thing i think everyone who's told me that they've got involved or at least even engaged with it has always been positive it's been great and it's so it's it's just um like i remember talking to one pastor about it and he just was like didn't even know what twitch was he didn't even know what like all this stuff and so it's just it's interesting that you know as silly as it is it almost is like for a lot of people just a completely new world of engagement right and i think it's a just a a cool opportunity so yeah it's amazing like how many just random people will sometimes like just pop in like we don't we haven't got a ton of people i think maybe outside of our church circle but the odd time you know someone's come in and said like hey like i don't really believe in god we had one i think the first week and we were actually able to like talk with them a bit i i I hope it was a productive Mm -hmm. conversation they weren't just there to troll they were you know obviously very skeptical and maybe a bit jaded on the church, but it was, it was just a cool opportunity there. We've had people jump on from like other streams. They kind of like, they, you, you have the option on Twitch to send all your followers to a, to another stream when you kind of finish, when you wrap up. And so that happened a couple of times or just had some random people tuning in, but um, it's been cool. And, and Daniel's actually done a really good job. He's kind of put some highlight videos on the, the play games, talk Jesus YouTube channel. Um, so definitely a plug mm-hmm. for that as well. Um, but yeah, so we, we do stream on Twitch every Monday night at uh, C3KW Gaming, and it's usually Minecraft, although uh, we're going to be firing up Apex Legends pretty soon, I think. Uh, we've played Rocket League before, but uh, yeah, you know, if you're bored on a Monday night, uh, come in, say hi, join us for a good time on mm-hmm. Twitch. And uh, if you if you tuned in a couple weeks ago, I did a pretty great Rocco impression. <laughs> you want to hear it now? Yes, of course. Hey guys, thanks for tuning into the cast. I'm Rocco the Raccoon, C3's mascot. So that was just a little sample of of my, of my Rocco I, impression. I guess we gotta do our own Rocco now. That that just sealed the deal. Yeah. Holy moly. Yeah. C three KW specific Rocco. We can do we can do Rocco. I know the C three Toronto is Rocco and Sierra, but we can do Rocco and Sarah. Hey. So there we, we go. Her, Sarah and then we'll do and crossovers and the whole deal. It'll be it'll be amazing. Yeah. The the uh, the Rocco multiverse. <laughs> I, I think that has a lot of potential. 
It does. I love it. Mike, I got a I got a big theological question on my mind lately. Um, something I've been thinking through a lot. I've talked about with, about it with you, I think briefly, mm-hmm. but I really want to get into it on a deeper level tonight. Um, and that's the question of God's impassibility. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something I've been really struggling to understand, I think, and struggling to apply. And so, um, why don't I, I read out a definition? I'll read out a Wikipedia definition because um, I'm going to assume it's uh, at least somewhat accurate. So impassibility describes the theological doctrine that God does not experience pain or pleasure from the actions of another being. It has often been seen as a consequence of divine aseity, the idea that God is absolutely independent of any other being, i.e. in no way causally dependent, being affected literally to have a certain emotion affect by a state of actions of another would seem to imply causal dependence. So it's a it's a very interesting question about our relationship with God because it you know for us for us Christians that are used to maybe taking the Bible at somewhat more face value and maybe not uh, engaging in these really deep uh, theological or, or philosophical uh, questions that maybe some of the early church fathers and the councils mm-hmm. um, would have gotten into this. This is counterintuitive. Like this flies in the face of what we see in scripture where we see that God is grieved by mm-hmm. this. God is jealous. God is all these uh, human emotions that we kind of ascribe to him. Mm-hmm. And the explanation that I've seen for this is that, um, you know, these are just anthropomorphisms, I think is the word they used. Like mm-hmm. uh, taking God who is so far above us um, that we can't wrap our minds around him, but taking his actions or the outcomes of his character or his love mm-hmm. and ascribing human emotion to them just to make it understandable. So that, so that that's what Moses was doing, you know, writing, writing Exodus or, or Genesis or, um, yeah, those, those kinds of things. And so just to be clear, we're also talking about the Godhead, God, the father, um, not, not God, the son, obviously Jesus, because he had a human body would have experienced pain and emotion as a result of, his his human nature um so this is and this is not you know impassibility is not some fringe belief in christianity it's something that i guess has been affirmed by pretty much every major figure in church history from the church fathers to the reformers um but it's also something that's not explicitly in scripture like it's it's i think it's something that's kind of inferred or implied based on certain logic um Mm -hmm. certain other Mm -hmm. things we would read about god um and i actually saw there was a pastor on instagram who who kind of uses his instagram stories to talk about theology a lot and he, he put up this poll recently and he he uh asked the question is god emotional and 80% of the respondents said yes, and 20% said no. And he's like, 80% of you are wrong. God does not have emotions. Um, and so I've been, I've been really wrestling with that because I think I tend to defer to the church fathers and these major figures in church history on these important theological issues. I would say, okay, so I, my, my, my first instinct is to agree with them. God does not have passions or emotions. In the, in the ways that humans do. He's not affected negatively by us because he's it's all powerful. He's, I get, he's predestined everything. He's, uh, um, what's the other thing I would say? He is purely love. So, and, and he doesn't change. God doesn't change. He is love. And so the way I've tried to like maybe reason around this with myself is that 
Um, God is love. And so being love, things that are are not of him will react to him in a certain way. So for example, God hardening Pharaoh's heart in Exodus. There, uh, there's a Catholic Catholic priest that my, my friend Andrew was telling me about that uh, had a sermon and he basically described it as being like um, Pharaoh was like clay and God was like the sun and the sun doesn't change, but the sun does harden the clay. And so, so because of Pharaoh's disposition, because of what he was, his heart was hardened in response to God. And I, I don't know if that's exactly the same thing, but I think that that image kind of applies here that because God is love, when the situations demand love to act a certain way, love does act a certain way in those situations. But it's not that God's changed. It's that those situations have necessitated a certain action by God. And, and I feel like I'm using a lot of big $5 words there. Hopefully our listeners understand what I'm getting at. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. And I think that like when, when, when it gets into the fundamental attributes of God and all of the... Um, the some of the more philosophical explanations or um, explorations of, of God. Like I think we do get into spaces that, like you said, are, are more about following certain logical commitments about how we understand God, and then from that place, you know, driving conclusions of, about Him in, in some ways. And like um, we have to remember too that like uh, I, we as Christians we, we are we are in tension between a few different things, right? So we have, um, and, and I would take at least, okay, here's how I'll say this, right? Not everyone will agree necessarily on the order of all these things, but I fall in, in line with like um, kind, of, kind of the basic Wesleyan actually theology on the four kind of fundamental things that shape our theology, right? You have scripture, tradition, reason, and experience, four things, right? And um, where the Catholic Church, right, would have kind of tradition and scripture, kind of co-equal, yeah, kind of equal, if not even not uh, unbalanced a little bit, right? Um, maybe some more progressives would have experience, reason, tradition, and scripture, or whatever it might look like. I would have put scripture, you know, first, um, and then maybe unlike some modern Protestants, I would probably put scripture, tradition, reason, and then experience, um, because I do think we come in line with the history of our faith, mm-hmm. but. Tradition still submits to scripture and and some of the theological developments that come post uh, the Bible are up for debate or up for wrestling. And and yes, we do hold to certain creeds. Um, I would say, you know, to be an Orthodox Christian, some of the early creeds, you I would say you kind of have to believe to fall in line with what we believe. But those are mainly about establishing doctrines around the nature of, of God and Christ. There's a lot of Christology. Then there's, we bring in some, some Holy Spirit stuff later on. But like some of these deeper philosophical uh, inquiries in the nature of God, I think are later developments. And honestly, um, from what I know, like I've done some reading church history lately. I took a bunch of you know, obviously philosophy, religion stuff in, in college, uh, which was a long time ago. But um, I, I'm one that is open to wrestle with some of these um, designations about God, right? Mm. That God, um, you know, like impassibility or, or immutability. Like I, you and I had a phone call. I think it was a phone call yeah. or Zoom call, whatever, um, a couple weeks ago. And we talked about God's immutability and, and how I say that, like, you know, yes, God in his character is ultimately immutable. But um, it depends how you define change, right? Because... Every time that there is a 
a a person born into the world or a person you know um, you know created. There is this addition to God. He gains a new relationship to this new human being, and that technically is it, it's not a fundamental change. It's not, it's it's an arbitrary, accidental change, but still is saying that God develops or He adds to Himself a relationship. Right? God is not infinitely related to every single person that possibly could exist until they actually exist. Existence does does matter, I would argue, right? So, um, so we can get in, and, and so that, and, but then that starts getting into really, f- you know, f- <laughs> fine tooth comb um, arguments and the minutia of certain things. But when it comes to impassibility and God's, um, like, so okay, that you mentioned that like the Twitter poll or the Instagram poll or whatever, right? Yeah. God, and, and this again might be semantics, but I think it's important. God is not emotional like we are emotional, but I do not believe that that God is emotionless, mm. because there in in that theology there there is an inherent um, uh, suspicion of emotions as something negative. Right. right, so God shouldn't have them. Right, that that when we when someone can cause something in us that that is some inherently a bad thing or a wrong thing or a less than thing. But I do believe that um, being made in the image of God um, is is not purely um, an attribute thing. It's also a representative thing. But I do think there is something in that that we that there are communicable aspects of God that He is the perfection of that we hold as image bearers of God. So. That just means there's some things God has that we have also, but not to the perfect degree that he has them, right? Um, like rationality, like love, right? Things like that. Um, and so when it comes to our emotions, I do believe that God, um, it, it, to me, it, it, it doesn't seem unorthodox to say that God would be the perfection of all true emotion. Yeah. Um, that, that he could hold in himself these things and that... Um, Yes, you, you might want to posit this this stoic, unmoved being that controls the whole universe. Um, but I don't think you have to do that to still get God. Because saying that God is, you know, this, um, to be honest, like o- almost like this Platonist version of like anything that, that could be considered bodily or humanly is like evil and bad. And God being spirit can't have any of that. Um like I just I just don't don't think it's necessary because I do believe God is is grieved and and genuinely grieved but the difference between you and I is when we are grieved right we may make bad decisions we we might let that affect our rationality we 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 might you know um even with pleasure pursue certain things right but I do think that God does have genuine joy mm. when people come to back to the family of God. I, I, like, I wouldn't want to deny God that. So, so then do we become people who pick and choose which emotions God could experience, right? And, and, and I, I, just, I just see this image of the Father in Jesus, who is the full revelation of God, right? Who would rejoice at that who would grieve at sin, who would do these things. I know you mentioned like, you know, being Trinitarian, we do reserve certain things about Christ, but even that, how he became incarnate is still up for debate even to today, right? And so we have to recognize there are limits and boundaries in our theology, but there's still a lot of openness. Um, and so so that's kind of my my thought on it is that I don't, I don't think it is better to have an emotionless 
God. Yeah. It's definitely not good to have an emotional God because usually when we think about emotionalism, it's like this off the rails, everything, right? Well, yeah, because that's, and that's what it seems to me, maybe this doctrine was like birthed out of because I know at the time, well, like St. Augustine was having to argue the case for Christianity a lot. And, and so to contrast our God, who we believe is the true God, with the Roman or Greek gods, like one of the ways that, that I believe he contrasted them was that these gods are governed by their passions, mm-hmm. governed by their s- sinful emotions, and mm-hmm. so therefore are not worth mm-hmm. serving or trusting in because they're just screwed up sinners like you. They just happen to have these crazy powers. Yep. That, that was, and that was like a, a very important distinction that we don't have a God that's governed by, you know, his appetites or his passions. We have a God that is all good, all loving, um, and, and all true. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so that was as an apologetic argument, that was very important. Yeah. Like in the city of, uh, of God, where he contrasts the two cities or the city of Maine, mainly the city of Rome and the city of God. I, I actually read a little bit of reading of that today. Um, and, like it's true right it, there there is this apologetic nature to it but again we have to remember like i like i'm you you know so again i'm maybe i'm just qualifying this for our listeners but like you know that i, I love the church fathers um I, I i like i tend to go to them a lot and and but they're not they're not scripture and so we have to remember that like in those first 400 years of development of our theology we do believe the spirit of god was involved 100% but um, so we're politics, so we're emperors, so we're a bunch of other things yeah. that we have to remember, right? And, and so, I, like, when I go to the scriptures as much as I can, you know, and see the God of the Bible, like, there are times when, yes, it makes sense that God has um, no passions, but um, but then there's other times that it just it, it just doesn't. Like it just doesn't like I feel like we we've we've given up too much to go so far, and because it's become an an ongoing doctrine of the church, it might seem for some theologians heretical to say that you know God has, or or God is is God is related to us in an in an emotional way, Um, but I I actually think that like that actually that doesn't lessen who he is and it doesn't make him somehow lose his aseity because like when i think of aseity i do think it means that he is completely self-sufficient right he is independent of all other things he's the only necessary being his existence is in himself nothing holds him together he doesn't need anything to exist outside himself right and that yeah that that his his nature is not causally dependent or doesn't get a it isn't there needs to be no effect for god right but like God also did did so many amazing things when he decided to make creation. Yeah. Right? When he decided to incarnate. Like there's certain things that we need to consider and and even Jesus tells us of how angels, right? They rejoice when a sinner comes home. That's one of his points that he makes with like the parables, right? Of of the lost sheep and the lost coin, right? That, that, that there's a party in heaven in a sense for this. And so if those spirits right, can experience joy. And if Jesus promises us there's joy of the master, then we should expect there to be that kind of passion. Now, they might want to say that's a different kind of thing, and I'd have to read more about that. But um, on face value, I just, I don't think it's necessary to be a Trinitarian Orthodox Christian and say that Jesus or or the Father uh, doesn't feel some things we feel. I think it's proper to say he feels them perfectly and 
nonetheless acts always in accordance to his will purposes you know sovereignty so i, I think it's it can be definitely a, like a both and a conjunctive theology if you will yeah i think like the intuitive way that i understand that, like whether so so that that's the thing about all of this is that the statement that god is impassable that that rubs against my intuitive understanding of god or like what feels right as a as a human being and i and this is where i go back to like scripture was written so humans could understand it mm -hmm. and so if it's written so humans could understand it it doesn't totally matter the mathematics and the equations and the all you know all the stuff behind of it behind it necessarily as far on a, on a practical level for us in day-to-day -day life and faith and so the way that i'm able to reconcile it i think is that is kind of like you said like god it god is the perfection of all emotion and so god will only be emotional in accordance with perfect like goodness and truth and justice in all situations. And so if God is angered, it's because the situation warrants his anger. Like he, it, it demands that of him. The, the good thing to do in that situation is anger. Like um, it's the same thing with, with, you know, Jesus, um, Jesus being fully God and fully man had no real reason uh, because of his God nature necessarily to weep, um, you know, at the tomb of Lazarus, but he did anyway, because that, it seems to me that that's what perfect love would demand there. Like there's been loss and, uh, the appropriate thing to do is to mourn, mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice. And so like, yeah, like I feel like there, that has to be kind of accounted for in this, like that bad negative emotions we perceive as negative not sinful necessarily but negative emotions are maybe like they're part of mm -hmm. they're part of the the right thing to do sometimes sometimes the right way to react is in a way that we as humans perceive as negative um I, mm -hmm. hopefully that makes sense i don't know that's yeah. just that's how i'm trying to reconcile these th very difficult uh yeah no and i think i think you you hit somewhere there is like what do we consider a negative emotion or sinful emotion mm -hmm. right because um again i i think there's there's there, there there's a desire to make god um rightly so right the perfect being and, and if we can imagine the perfect being i think for some reason there is this idea that emotions are less perfect or less than what the ideal existence would consist of and 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 you could argue it's because like emotions kind of um, assume, um, like, like assume an other, right? Like if you just were sitting in a room all by yourself, never knew that no one else existed, you probably wouldn't feel those, those relational emotions, right? You wouldn't be able to feel grief because you wouldn't even know that you lost anybody. You wouldn't necessarily know what, uh, the joy of seeing it. But the thing we have to remember is God is Trinitarian eternally, which, and so any good theologian will say that God eternally was a community of love from 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 ever his, his divine aseity includes the trinitarian community of love and i would assume in that is joy mm -hmm. right like 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 in in any even in any imperfect human loving relationship right there is a joy of the other yeah and and so god has the capacity to feel that within the trinity right and a lot of the stuff that we would want to think about god as the very nature of love gets then passed on to us um, communicated to us and, and we see it that he loves us because he is truly loved because he could be truly loved because he's Trinitarian from, from the very beginning um, and so I, I, I think that there's this assumption um, that that God is, is stoic 
that that God is impassable and that makes him stronger or better. Um, and again, I'm not saying that I understand all the logic because like, you know, I haven't necessarily brushed up on all my, <laughs> on my medieval, you know, theology, but um, I, I do, I, I do think as I, as I've been thinking about this, this question and considering it, right. I, I do think that I, I don't fear that we make God less than he is perfect and beautiful and, and, and glorious by ascribing to him, um, the ability to, to be impacted by what he made. Cause I think that's the fear that like we can control God somehow, but I think I actually agree with you in the sense of like God being perfect would always know how to perfectly respond to a situation and and where there is injustice I hope the the holiness and the love of God right together actually makes God angry at that right like like I hope that is is the case and and, and some might say well no he just he just is like there there is no um there, there is no effect there. And, and, and again, then it could, it could potentially get into your idea of God's knowledge, right? Because if God already knows everything that's going to happen, nothing is a surprise. So therefore, how could he ever really have a reaction to anything? And um, and then we get into, you know, Molinism and God's counter counterfactual knowledge of what could have been freedom. And like it, it begins to unravel in different ways. But I do think just generally speaking, um, when, when I read the Bible, it says that God grieved um, or that, you know, there was joy in heaven. I, I don't see, I don't see the theological issue why that joy couldn't be applied to the father, um, that he would have that. And it doesn't make him less than perfect to have that in response to faith, in response to salvation, right? Because even if he knew, like, like and, and this might be a bad analogy, but like, like if I, if I wanted my daughter to do something righteous and good, right? And I was like, I was sure she was going to, I just knew that she was going to do it. I would still be happy when she did it. Yeah. I would still be you know, rejoicing that she made um, that that choice of, of, of redemption. And again, we as theologians, right? Everyone's a theologian, by the way. Like everyone who has <laughs> thought about God, right? Are um, typically f- freedom- giving theologians we actually like the fact that human beings have freedom and we, we, we hold that intention with god's sovereignty um and another conjunctive theology but yeah i just i just and, and i i just i i don't think that i am as weary of and maybe it's because like you said of of the apologetic aspect to it and, and the development over, over, over time that i just don't think it makes god less perfect and less god to be able to emote, right? Again, not emotional, right? Not triggered, not, um, you know, not, not, not going blown a casket, not quick tempered, whatever. God's slow. He's patient. He's slow to anger and he's kind and gracious, right? Um, and, and I think that there's something real and yes, anthropomorphic, of course, but, but nonetheless real. Like, like, like we have to understand that God is, um, like is choosing to reveal himself, right? And again, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. So, so even still, there, even if you can argue, well, you know, some of that stuff comes from Jesus's um, assuming human nature, truly human nature. Well, right now, Jesus is on the on the throne of heaven, right? So, 
God is feeling something in Christ. Um, and, and so I just, I just, I, yeah, I, I just think that that might be one of those philosophical doctrines that we've created and ran with. And, and this, this might get me in trouble. I don't know, but like, I'm okay with the knowledge that God rejoices in heaven when, when a sinner comes to him. Like I'm, I'm actually good with that and like genuine joy. Mike, you're going to get a discernment blog written about you over that one, I think. Bring it. <laughs>